I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Camera Podcast, Pubs, Pints, People. Now, as this episode goes live, it's a very special day. 16th of March, 2021... We all know what that means. It means it's Camera's 50th birthday. Woo! Paddy Popper sound effect. Woo! <laughs> now, I'm Matt Bundy, as always, and joining me at our virtual birthday party for jelly cake and hopefully lashings of beer, cider, and perry are Claire Phillips and Amphirillo. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I would have made a cake for Cameron's birthday, but we've packed all our cake tins away because we're moving it. That's my excuse anyway. But I will be watching the 50th birthday activity over on the camera website and social media today. And there's all sorts of things behind the scenes, insight into campaigns over the years, a library of photos of what life was like for beer drinkers back in the day. If you'd like to have a look at any of this, visit camera.org.uk forward slash 50 hyphen years. Wonderful. And one of our many ways of marking the celebration, of course, is a fantastic new official biography of camera. Just out today from beer writer Laura Hadland, who, as I said, uh, said the other week, had the pleasure of interviewing back in season one. She describes uh, the book as a warts and all accounts. So do make sure you get yourself a, uh, a listen back of that episode when we interviewed her. But more importantly, get yourself a copy of the book. Things have changed quite a lot since 1971, and camera's come a long way from its roots, hasn't it? I guess oh, from yeah. small beginnings to the huge success it is today, with its own hit podcast to boot. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a bit too young to remember exactly what it was like in 1971, but I, I gather that beards and sideburns were popular, and of course vinyl was the best way to listen to music. Some would say it still is. Yeah, and where the beards and sideburns are concerned, Clay, it'd be fair to say that they've come back recently with this lockdown because I could really do with a haircut right now. <laughs> yeah, I can't even see the screen. Uh, looking at <laughs> to like, record this. It's just, just a fringe. Just like the Jew looks dog, just looking at the yeah. <laughs> Mind you, things were set to change. Decimal currency had just come in. Intel released its first microprocessor and Greenpeace was founded. And as we're in Cheltenham week, perhaps we should also say that the winner of the Cheltenham Gold Cup was Les Cargo that year in 1971. He was the horse that denied Red Rum three consecutive wins of the Grand National. Ooh, like I'll tell that. you what, Arsenal won their first league and FA Cup double. Can you believe that? Arsenal were good back then. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> and if you wow. Don't write in, Arsenal fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and if you're a film buff, you'd have, you'd have been enjoying classics like Get Carter and one of my faves, A Clockwork Orange, ready for a bit of the old ultra violence 
I like that's that, that. I've never heard that voice from you before. Right? <laughs> I don't know whether I want to ever hear it again. <laughs> we were down at the Corova milk bar who sold milkless Ferraset. Oh, I don't like it at all. <laughs> now, now, of course, the most important change, as far as we're concerned, between 1971 and now, is that the beer is so much better, of course. Oh, yeah. It certainly is. And... While we're talking about the 50th anniversary celebrations, mentioned the, the website, you can find out more about that anniversary book. Um, you can find out about our campaigning milestones, the awards, merchandise, anniversary beer boxes and a lot more. There's also a Zoom event tonight. That's obviously the 16th of March if you're listening on the day that the podcast is out. It's at seven o'clock. It's hosted by Laura Hadland and a panel of guests. If you check out Camera's social media to register and if you've got any special memories or stories about Camera, then do share them with us on social media. There's the hashtag cheers to Camera and also the at Camera underscore official pages we'd love to see them do get in touch with pubs pints people on twitter as well definitely wherever you're celebrating whoever you're with we hope you're enjoying yourself and a big happy birthday to our favorite collective of people camera now listen today's episode is all about beer cities and this is a new feature and we're planning to focus on one city every season there are plenty of top beer cities in the uk and we'd like to showcase as many of them as we can so we'll be asking you for your thoughts on this too as we go along. And as always, as Claire's just mentioned, we've got the at Pubs Pints People Twitter handle. Well, we thought we'd start with London. Well, Why not, eh? Yeah. I mean, it's known for setting trends in many areas, fashion, technology, culture. I guess America has the famous Silicon Valley. We're in there with our Silicon Roundabout yeah. at Old Street. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it doesn't quite conjure up uh, the same image. I can't imagine a, uh, a hit sitcom about it, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Um, but London does have the Bermondsey Beer Mile, and that is a fabulous place to discover beers that you would never have thought possible. And actually, our first interview is from that neck of the woods with the founders of the Small Beer Company, and they are nothing if not innovative. They certainly are. We'll hear that they specialise in classic beer styles, but they're very different from the usual beer startup as they spotted a big gap in what's now quite a well-covered market. Mm. Well, later on in our second interview, we'll hear from possibly the most famous London beer name, that's Truman's, just over the river in Brick Lane. But right now, uh, let's go over to our correspondent, Dean Barrett, who's asking the questions of our guests, the two founders of the small beer company, James Grundy and Felix James. We set up uh, just over three years ago, um, and we set up with the sole purpose of brewing small beer. That is uh, beer that is below 2.8%, but is absolutely full in flavour and allows you to to get on with the rest of your day, essentially. Um, We we really found that that this was something that, that we personally were really looking for in beer, uh, and, and, and we thought, you know, why, why not offer that to, to everybody else as well? And small beer is not a name that you invented, I understand. It has a historic background. Would you like to tell us a bit about that? So small beer is very much historic, as you say. 16, 17, 1800, small beer was drunk as the alternative to water. Really by everyone, school children, right through to high society, and was referenced by Shakespeare and by Dickens a great deal in their workings, uh, and indeed writings. It was drunk both for nutrition but also for hydration, and such the upper limit was set at 2.8%, 2.8% ABV, 
Um, the water alcohol content means the body hydrates more quickly than it dehydrates. Once you start getting into 3%, you're at that sort of diuretic limit. Passing that, the body dehydrates more quickly than it, dehyd- uh, than it hydrates. Hence that upper limit being set at 2.8%. And that's very much what we do here, Dean. We specialise in classic beer styles below 2.8% ABV. I've so far only enjoyed your beer in bottles, but I believe you do draft as well. Where, where in overall can we find your beers? We did a lot of draft through the on-trade, obviously, sadly, before uh, COVID struck, and and, um, and we lost the, the joy for hopefully not too much longer of, of our great, great on-trade in the UK, our pubs, restaurants, bars, hotels... Uh, and the like, but we, we obviously very much hope they'll be opening again soon. So no draft for us right now, uh, outside of the mini kegs that we that we produce, that we fill straight from tank and ship to people's doorsteps to be enjoyed at home, the, the, the nine-pint kegs that I'm sure you're familiar with, but, um, but certainly bottles and cans. Right across the UK, I think it's fascinating to see the demand for lower ABV, that session strength beer, grow, 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 because it wasn't that long ago that milds were, you'd find a mild on on many a bar top, you just don't see it now. And very much when we were starting, you saw there was the 0.5, with the non-alk space, there was a little bit of the the Beck's Blue and the Bitburger Drive and, and such, but for us, we sometimes felt that we weren't always being fulfilled from a flavor profile perspective. And... Uh, otherwise, you were you were in the big beer spectrum. You know, you were you were four and a half and upwards. And, and when I say up, if I look at what was happening in the craft beer space, certainly when we launched, you were up at the seven, eight, nine percenters and um, incredible flavour profiles, uh, equally spectacular hangovers often as well. <laughs> well, I first came across small beer when Felix kindly did a Zoom uh, tasting for camera uh, during 2020's lockdown. And I was so surprised, uh, actually not at his cleverness, but his cleverness meant that we tasted the 1% uh, dark lager last and uh, everybody was so surprised that it had as much flavour as your stronger beer. So how do you achieve that miracle? We have four beers at the moment and those four beers range from 1% uh, right up to 2.7. We achieve that increase or the, the sort of the, the flavour that you would expect from a sort of 4 or 5% beer in just a 1% or a 2% beer by a number of different means. One of them um, is that we, in fact, we use the same amount of raw ingredients um, as you would do to make a bigger beer. And yet we're, we're really looking to extract as much flavour as possible from those raw materials rather than typically uh, what you would find in breweries where you're just trying to get as much alcohol as possible out of the malt. Um, the idea is that we are, we're, we're really trying to extract as much flavour as possible. This is really down to, to a few um, sort of technical reasons, but we have designed, we specifically designed our brewing kit um, to, to make small beer. In fact, you could potentially brew a bigger beer on our kit, but it really wouldn't be the right tool for the job. For us, we pride ourselves in using this bespoke brewing kit for getting as much flavour as possible out of our raw materials. We use the sort of practices that have been used in brewing for centuries, but we're just tweaking along the way. Every twist and turn, every, every time we have an option to go for flavour, um, we, we go that route. And at the end of the day, what we have is, is these wonderfully classic beer styles. So we're not trying to absolutely... Um, blow your head off with, with loads and loads of hops or, um, or sour beers or, or whatever it may be. We're really going for 
for those really nice classic beer styles. Uh, we have a, a really beautiful uh, classic Pilsner-style lager that is fantastically refreshing. Uh, we have a very fruity session pale, and then we have our steam, which is a little bit more malty and robust. And then finally, as you say, the dark lager just at 1%, which has got all these chocolate and coffee aromas uh, that you get from the darker malt, and yet it's crisper and cleaner. It is a lager. Uh, it's, it's beautifully refreshing, and you can drink it, drink it in the summer. And how do you feel your beers are, are positioned versus the, uh, the, the, the fondness that people have for craft beers nowadays? So I think we, we don't really associate ourselves um, with, with craft. We don't consider ourselves a craft brewery. Um, and I think that, that that's potentially just because that sort of craft... Uh, element has, has sort of been taken a little bit too far in in terms of, uh, of of trying to get to these weird and wacky um, flavors and I think potentially what we would identify more with is is that sense of of the sort of smaller scale more artisanal production where we put our, our hearts and souls into every single brew that we that we make here, and the entire brewing kit is is manual but it is a uh, it's, we're, we're not looking to, to get the sort of craft flavours, as it were. Um, I, I'd say we're probably a, a touch more traditional. So how is it that you uh, deal with the carbon dioxide production uh, compared to a normal beer? So we retain as much of the natural carbon dioxide in the beer as possible. Um, I know that certainly for, for camera members out there, um, uh, many of you are looking for a traditional cask beer or, or indeed a, a bottle-conditioned beer where, where you're retaining the, the CO2 that is produced uh, during that secondary fermentation in the cask or in the bottle. Um, in fact, what we're dealing with here is that we retain the CO2 from the fermentation from our vessels. So we spund our vessels, which means that we allow a certain amount of CO2 from fermentation to escape um, but we also retain enough CO2 in order to provide a, a, a carbonated beer um, in the bottle. So we retain that, that carbonation, um, which means that we don't have to add extraneous CO2. Um, and, then, and then that means that, uh, that we go straight from the vessel into the bottle and, and you've got all that natural CO2 that's come from fermentation. So in effect, I personally would say um, we're, we're fully compliant with... Uh, with cameras um, own 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 ideals so how would you characterize London in terms of uh, it being the beer capital with everything else that's going on I mean I, I would say that the whole of the UK has an has an absolutely vibrant brewing scene um, wherever you go there are wonderful regional brewers uh, there are also some fantastic brewing cities um, but, I, but certainly in London, I mean, we know when I first started brewing in London, there were but less than 10 breweries back in, uh, what was it, 2008. Uh, we set up the London Brewers Alliance when I was brewing at Fuller's Brewery. And since then, the number of breweries in London has absolutely exploded. Uh, now there are, the last time I checked, there were over 140 breweries um, who were... Uh, who were all subscribing to, to the London Brewers Alliance. Um, and and, and I, I, I can only see that growing, Dean. 
And, and given that you started with a small band of competitors, and now there are so many, do you find it easier to stand out in the London crowd by selling your unique low ABV product? Absolutely. I mean, we, we have a, uh, a, a unique uh, reason, reason to be. There aren't any other breweries offering exactly what, what we do. Those people who are really looking for a, for a lower alcohol offering uh, that will allow them to, to still live life to the fullest and, and not sort of pander to the extremes where they're either drinking completely non-alcoholic beer or beer of 5% and above, they should find it very natural to, to, uh, to drink small beer and, and, and enjoy the, the various flavours that we create here. What would you find that would be amusing for your friends in the pub if you told them a story about Small Beer Co before 2020? Gosh, that's a great question. There's been, I mean, there's been um, a lot of amusing stories, arguably, along the way. We, we started off brewing in... It was more than a shed, but it was a, a very impressive shed in the back of Felix's garden, uh, and that's where it began. We enlisted friends to come down when we took this 5,500-square-foot warehouse space in South Bermondsey to help us paint it all up on scaffolding towers with rollers in hand. That was before we'd started building anything. Um... Why? What would they laugh about? They'd probably laugh about the fact that we were suggesting we were going to release beers between 1% and 2.8%. Um, we believed there was, a, there was a demand for it. We've been looking at the space for um, many years, but it's really only been over those last few years that I think, since we've been able to get out into the market, that we've been able to change that consumer mindset Partly that was in place because of what had gone before. I think people always associated lower alcohol with lower flavour or lesser quality. And, and what we were looking to do was very much challenge that thinking. In fact, flip that thinking on its head and say that you know, a, a fantastic 2% beer can, could, really, could really change your outlook. Well, your enthusiasm shines through, James. What... What can I ask uh, from you, Felix? What's, what would you be the story you'd like to share with our listeners? I, I, I absolutely agree with James. It was all about those early days. Um, I mean, we had some, some incredibly long days, but, but really, I mean, those were the days that the recipes were really coming together. We were brewing two or three times a day on a tiny, tiny little piece of brewing kit. And, you know, occasionally it was, I mean, it was, it was really tough work. It was hard graft, but, uh, but it brings a smile to my face every time I see the odd picture of, of us um, knocking around in the brewery. I mean, literally, as James says, 5,500 square foot is a big space. Uh, we could have practically played tennis in here, James and I. And, uh, <laughs> and to see what, what that has now developed into. I mean, shortly before... Uh, before lockdown, we were hosting live music nights two or three nights a week in the brewery. Uh, we've hosted weddings in the brewery, uh, and we'd have you know 100 to 150 people in the brewery, absolutely filling the space and making it such a wonderful space to, to be in. And the you know the juxtaposition between those two is just it's been fabulous to see the the brewery really blossom over the past few years. And James and Felix, it's been fabulous to talk to you this morning. Uh, lovely stories to share. Uh, in, in adversity, you're obviously fighting through it and, uh, and aiming to come out the other side stronger. And so I thank you very much for joining us on the Camera Podcast. Thanks thank for having you, us, Dean. Dean. It's been a pleasure.
Oh, what a great chat. I mean, you know, these guys at Small Beer, they really changed the game of low alcohol drinks, yeah. I think. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's really interesting what they can do by concentrating on making flavour rather than alcohol. And I like the idea of rehydrating with beer. It's kind of harking back to the days when drinking water wasn't really safe. So people drank beer because the water had been boiled during the production process. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, as somebody who's recently become a father for the second time, of course, throughout my wife's pregnancy, I was in solidarity when I oh, when I could be, not all the time, of course, but um, we discovered lots of uh, low alcohol things for me to enjoy. So I didn't feel completely uh, separated from the drink I know and love. But that dark lager sounds amazing. And at only 1%, I worked out that the pint has only got 0.6 units. So it's perfect for a low alcohol real ale lunch. Mm. I like that kind of lunch. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, if it tastes that good, then perhaps I wouldn't mind being the designated driver next time I go out. Probably everybody else that I go with because I'm a terrible driver. You know, <laughs> I've been in the car you, Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly crashed into Cameron's headquarters on the first time we went to record this podcast, so that's another story. But now, now we want to hear from you now. I think this could be a nice, maybe even controversial topic on the old Twitter. So London may be the capital of the UK, but what city do you think is the country's capital city of beer? Oh, that'll get him yeah, talking, yeah, won't I? Yeah, Love that. Yeah. Mm. Some strong now, contenders. Strong yeah, contenders. Very strong. Plenty, plenty of them. And no shortage of opinions, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. so that sounds great. So tweet us now of uh, which city you think. Uh, tell us the reason why. It's at Pubs Pants People on the Twitter. And we'll bring you the results next time. Just after our last episode, the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, delivered his second budget and Camera had been campaigning hard on behalf of pubs, clubs and the people in the communities they're there for. So we had four headline asks, which were lower duty on draft beer, extending the VAT reduction, the furlough extension until all pubs and clubs can open and to cancel business rates for another year in England. Oh, yes. Very good. So what actually happened? Who's ready for some budget facts? Did, did, me, me, yeah. me. <laughs> 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 well, draft beer duty was not lowered, but alcohol duty was frozen for another year. The VAT rate of 5% continues to the end of September and furlough has also been extended till then, by which time we really hope, and I, I, I'm actually on my knees praying, that pubs and clubs will be able to open fully. And on business rates, well, there was a 100% relief and that's continuing until the end of June, but then does go down to 66% until the 31st of March 2022. There are a few other things of interest to the trade as well. Yeah. There's the so-called super deduction... Apparently, it allows 100% corporation tax relief on plant and machinery. So it probably applies more to breweries and large pubs who might be upgrading their kit. You know, or to me, maybe I'll just get some plant machinery. You know, I might as well. The deal's on, isn't it? Super deduction. Now's the time. But there's a new recovery loan scheme guaranteeing 80% of business loans and a restart grant of up to £18,000 per premise uh, for hospitality businesses. So there's some good news in that as well. And also there was the Community Ownership Fund, where the government would match up to £250,000 raised by a community who want to save a local pub, for example. And there's quite a lot of that going on at the moment. There are a few other things for all businesses, but we'd be here all night. So yeah. one 
final interesting thing was the contactless payments transaction, which is now going up to £100 and £300 cumulatively. So that might just about cover a night out in your local when they reopen. Flipping air coming from that. Yeah, that's scary, yes, yeah. Just like that, £300, just, so touch I, and go. I'm just going to have to lock my card away, I think. Yeah, I'm going to say I might, I might have to go around the house and put them all in, in a box or something. <laughs> <laughs> Right, now moving on then, it's time for our regular slot. We're only here for the beer and we're all looking forward to being able to come back to the pub, even if we're outside for the time being. Now, Monday the 12th of April is looking like the big day and the weather has been quite good in recent years around the Easter bank holiday, absolutely sublime. Fingers crossed it's the same this year. So, which beer gardens and patios are we heading to once the restrictions are lifted? Let's have a little talk about it this week, shall we? I um, mentioned on our local camera Facebook pages last week um, about Only Here for the Beer and mentioned the pub in Essex that I'd chosen and and asked some of the local camera members what they thought, um, you know, in the Good Beer Guide, which, which pub we should pick this week or which the pub I should pick this week. And interestingly, um, somebody connected to, I think possibly the landlord or certainly somebody connected to a pub called the Thebanon, sorry, the Thebiton Lion, um, which is in Suffolk. It's kind of up near sort of Sizewell, Minsmere Bird Reserve. Um, and they said, why don't you feature us? So I've been having a look in the Good Beer Guide. And so I have to say, although I've been to quite a lot of pubs, not very far from this one. I've never actually been to this one. Oh, well. But they've got lots of local beers on. The Good Beer Guide says it's a lovely old village bar with eating outside at the front, which is obviously good at the moment. Real ciders in bottles. So, you know, um, cider ciders catered for as well. And um, they've got outdoor toilets. Uh, again, good if you're sitting in the garden, I guess. Yeah. Um, I know they've been doing a, a lot of deliveries and takeaway food and that sort of thing during lockdown. So I think I probably need to go and see them, but delighted to make them my only here for the beer choice for this edition and uh, yeah i shall i shall be heading over there as soon as i'm possibly able to i think sounds like it's a place we all want to get to there claire it sounds wonderful maybe we should record an episode from one of our only here from the beer pubs you are on for that one well what about this as a contender then because i was having a look uh it not i've taken my travels to nottingham for this week um, nottingham is a place where i took my very best friend for his stag do as his dutiful best man we crawled around nottingham for a, a full weekend and really really enjoyed our visits there now one of the pubs i fondly remember is uh formerly known as the king william the fourth although a lot of people call it the king billy and it's a victorian gem really it's a beautiful pub just on the edge of the city centre near the motor point arena and uh, it's a free house it's got low it's got all that charm and character that you'd expect from one of those oldie victorian kind of pubs and uh, the bit i remember the way i was drinking uh, that night it was oakham's uh, bishop's farewell lovely golden ale and it was in the middle of the summer as well so it was one of those you know when you have those moments where you go everything's perfect i'm sat mm. on a, at a wonderful table with wonderful people drinking amazing beer things couldn't get better right now unless i won the lottery in this second so uh, so that that's my recommend well my, not my recommendation but one that i'm certainly looking forward to seeing again in my lifetime the king billy well i'm heading to lancaster for my here for the beer because oh. um it's the next step on the life and times of matt bundy <laughs> at my hometown last time this is the uh the place where i went to sixth form uh, and uh, I'm going to the pool where I used to bunk off uh, from sixth form oh. to go and play pool and uh, and oh. drink and drink ale. It's a pub called Merchants, 
a very famous pub in Lancaster. And it's uh, it's because I don't trust Ant's weather forecast for it being nice uh, <laughs> in April or, or May, to be honest, or well, whenever we're allowed to go inside a pub. Um, so, um, so this is a, a proper old cellar pub with four tunnels linked together, really atmospheric. Oh, wow. um, and it's got uh, stoneware bottles that are used in the construction of all the cellar walls. It's really beautiful. So nice. and it's got a great selection of ales in there and lovely memories too. So I, I'm going to take us there. Yeah, that sounds a fantastic pub, actually. I shall add that to my wish list of places I want to visit and uh, try and book a holiday in that part of the world or something so I can go there. But we'd also like to hear from listeners to the podcast. If you've got a favourite pub that's in the current Good Beer Guide, tell us about it. Just record, say, 30 seconds on your mobile phone. Try to do it in a relatively quiet room, not standing next to, say, the M6 (laughs) or when there's a a gale force wind blowing or something like that. Uh, quietish room tell us 30 seconds about what your favorite pub is and tell us your name and your camera branch as well obviously and then email the file to podcast at camera.org.uk and we'll try and play a few of them into the podcast in a, in a future edition of we're only here for the beer like it Sounds great. Look forward to hearing that. That'll be fantastic. Now, it's time to return to London for our second interview, this time at the iconic Truman Brewery in the East End's Brick Lane. It's a wonderful building now. And Mm. it's even older than Camera. It was founded a year after another major pandemic was ripping through the city, the Black Death, (laughs) uh, that time. Uh, They got the naming rights in early, didn't they, uh, for that pandemic? Um, And uh, and of course, 1666 was the year of the Great Fire of London. Yeah, too right. No wonder they needed a beer after all of that. And I gather that um, Truman's have have really reinvented themselves a a, a few times. I mean, there was a time when, of course, they were known as Truman Hanbury Buxton. um, And then things changed. The name disappeared when the business was sold in the 1970s. It just became Truman's after that and and finally closed, sadly, in 1989. And that must have been a real low point in the 250-year history. Certainly has, but do you know what? They've made a comeback with a vengeance, opening up again with a completely new image in 2010, and now they're going from strength to strength. Beer's always been a very popular drink in the East End, but COVID aside, things really have livened up with all the markets, street food, and of course those fantastic pubs and clubs. It is a wonderful place to be, that East End, isn't it? So let's hear from Michael George Hemus, who's the Managing Director of Truman's. We've gone right to the top, I love it. And and Head of Marketing, Frank McGuire. And they are in conversation with Dean Barrett. Now, apologies in advance for the slightly dodgy sound quality in places, but it's still a cracking interview. Truman's is a really famous name in uh, in, in the history of beer, but you're taking a, quite a different spin on it since you relaunched in 2010. Can you tell us a bit about that? So my introduction to Truman's was quite different to, I imagine, many of the camera members in that um, when Truman's closed its its doors on Brick Lane, I was only nine years old. So I'd never had the chance to actually drink the beer. My introduction to Truman's was as I just graduated from university and was working, you know, I had set up my first company in the old Truman Brewery and was drinking most nights in the Golden Heart, 10 Bells, um, you know, and all around London. I'd be seeing these old Truman's pubs many with beautiful signage using fantastic materials, whether it's, you know, the great tiling that's in the 10 bells and the more wooden panelling that you see in the Golden Heart. Um, And then, you know, my office was in the old brewery itself and I was kind of fascinated by Truman's. We all were of a, you know, a certain age. Why had this seemingly great brewery shut down? What had happened to it? Why is it still here? 
you know, East London still needs its beer. And so that's kind of where we started from. It was bringing back Truman's has had effectively a second life through its old brewery. And we were effectively looking to bring its old life as a brewery back together with its new life at the sort of heart of a new type of East London. Our goal was never to faithfully recreate the Trumans of old, but was to create a contemporary Trumans, one of the 21st century, and bring it back to being, you know, East London's beer. That's really interesting. You've restarted effectively a a very famous uh, brewery name. So when you say we, who was that exactly? Truman's was restarted uh, by myself and James Morgan, who I'd been to university with. So James and I were both um, in our mid-20s and we were both working on Brick Lane and James was working in beer. And that's kind of how it all came about. It took us about a year or so to be able to get hold of the rights to the name and to do all the research and get restarted. And I helped with the, the process of restarting everything until we built our first brewery in Hackney Wick, which was end of 2012, beginning of 2013. At which point I took a step back and James has been running uh, or he was running Truman's all the way through until the end of 2019, at which point he took a step away from the business and left the business for personal reasons. And uh, I've come in and taken over. Yeah, that's that's the we basically. And Frank, where do you come in? Uh, so I joined Truman's in early 2019. Um, prior to that, I was uh, Heineken uh, in a number of roles for sort of nine and a half years. Um, so I've come from one end of the market to the other in many senses. Thoroughly enjoyed the switch and getting closer to, to brewing and the product. I look after marketing here for both the sort of retail part of our business and then the beer and brands and the brewing side. Um, so looking at sort of portfolio development and innovation and, and our strategy on what we're trying to do for for beers and drinkers out there. And one of the debates that we're hearing quite a lot about in camera, what's the difference between real ale and craft ale? Or is there a difference? What's your view on that? I think that the conversations about what what sort of qualifies as craft have have gone on for too long now, probably. Um, I think if you look at brewers of all different scales some are putting far more energy and and effort into quality and and pushing the boundaries of beer forward um, versus others of different sizes ages whatever it might be Um, i think the commitment in terms of quality and and the consistency of brewing is absolutely everything about crafting a beer Um, and to put any other sort of definitions on it beyond that it's never really going to work and i don't really see the need to so guys one of the things you are setting up i know is the world's largest socially distant pub what's that all about Truman Social Club it is going to be at our new site, um, which is on Blackhorse Lane, Walthamstow. Um, this is the site where we were meant to be building our new brewery because we've been based in Hackney Wick for the last, uh, well, since two, the beginning of 2013. And um, we always had to move out and we uh, rented this new site. We were meant to be starting building spring this year. Um, and then obviously for reasons we all know that got put on hold. And so we have this big site and we weren't sure what to do with it. Looking at what obviously the world needs, it needs big spaces for pubs so people can drink securely. And that's how Truman Social Club was born. We've decided to take two thirds of our huge warehouse space, which is the old Iron Brew depot in East London, and turn that into a pub where people can drink safely two metres distance apart, where it is all the different guidelines um, that are put out there can be put into practice because we have the space in order to do it. We opened the beer garden in beginning of July, and we're hoping to open the inside space um, at the end of September. 
So is it a social club in name or in nature? So will people be able to join it or is it open to the public? Truman Social Club really is evoking the idea of a social club. You don't need to be a member. It's open to the public in general. And like a pub, anyone can walk in. We gave it its name because we're trying to create a kind of feeling of a community center, a hub where people can come to mix and meet. It's not just a place for drinking. We have an event space as well. It will also eventually be our brewery. So there's lots of different things going on and Social Club just felt the right way of evoking everything that we're trying to create. We were due to be building our new brewery here in spring. And um, unfortunately, with everything that happened with the pandemic, we no longer had the funding to do it. So our plans for building in uh, on this site had to be put on hold. We have instead taken a new site in Hackney Wick, where we're planning to be for the next one to two years. And then when the time is right, we will be building the new Truman's brew house on our site in Walthamstow. I'm sure our listeners who maybe only know about the traditional Trumans would like to know something about your beer. Yeah, so the first beer is Runner, which is our sort of traditional best bitter, really. Uh, it's at 4% ABV, so uh, very nice and sessionable. It was actually uh, evolved out of an original recipe from the brewery archives, um, which were the sort of beer brewing records, which are called Giles, from the original Trumans, and so it's evolved out of that. And the word Runner was basically the name given to a brewery's traditional easy drinking best bitter uh, so this is our version of that but it's really our flagship cask ale and so um, it's got a nice dark hue to it uh, it reviews it uses a variety of english hops um, including goldings and fuggles um, so you'll expect to get quite a lot of nutty flavors in there there's a bit of chocolate uh, but it's still very easy drinking the next of our beers is Swift. Uh, that was one of the original uh, beers that was brewed when it was restarted in 2010 as well. Um, so this is uh, very much a golden ale. It's 3.9%. It uses f- sort of three of the best known hops out there in Cascade, Challenger and Sars. Um, so it's a great gateway beer, I guess, between someone coming out of potentially a traditional lager category and looking to discover real ale. This would be the one beer in our portfolio that I'd always encourage people to try if they're new to drinking real ale. But everything around this is perfect in the summer. It's full of refreshment and and flavor. There's a lot of juicy uh, citrusy notes in there and it's just perfect for hot weather. Uh, so the third beer that's permanently available in our cask ale range is Zephyr. This is our Pacific Pale Ale. Uh, uses a variety of hops from New Zealand and Australia. Uh, the joys of hops from down there is that you get a huge amount of fruit notes in the beer. So uh, when you are enjoying Zephyr, you want to enjoy it as fresh as possible uh, when all the hoppy notes are there to be enjoyed. And if you get that in the great condition in your local pub, you should be expecting flavours of melon. Uh, you'll have stone fruit flavours in there, such as apricot. Uh, and then a few other tropical fruit notes. So typically you'll pick up some pineapple and potentially some mango. And then there's a big citrus bite that comes around at the end. Some people will taste grapefruit, some will taste lemon, but um, it's a really well-rounded sort of fruity beer that's great for any time of year. Well, that's been great. It's been my absolute privilege today to interview Michael George Hemus and Frank McGuire of Truman's Beer. Relaunched in 2010 and thoroughly reinvented for this decade and beyond. I really look forward to visiting the Social Club and experiencing the now East London experience that the guys are creating. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks a lot. 
completely new rebirth for Truman Sear. And that social club in Walthamstow, which is kind of my old stamping ground from where I, I grew up fairly near there, is certainly one to go and visit. Not just social, but socially distanced as well. And supposedly the world's largest, I believe. So I bet that beer garden is going to be popular come April. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. You, that brings me on nicely to a little question I've got for you both, actually. What do you two think about socially distancing for pubs? Is it going to be something landlords are going to have to think about longer term or are they going to just sort of get on with it for the foreseeable and then and then go back to the olden days? I don't know. Well, I guess, for the foreseeable, I, but I guess as more people get jabbed, perhaps. I don't yeah. I don't know. It's, it's so difficult to, to to guess what's going to happen now, isn't it? Pubs did an awful lot adapting themselves to to distancing and for and for lots of different rules before they were forced to shut again. So I guess when they open again, still going to have a lot of that stuff in place, aren't they? And spent an awful lot of money about on it. So, yeah. so I guess that that's that's going to be there. Like it's not just that you're going to rip it all out and go back to a, to an old pub immediately, even if you might even want to, you know. So it's going to be there for quite a few months. And I think that people are just going to be used to that way of doing it. Yeah. And it's going to take a long time until people have their second jabs and things. So so yeah, I think socially distance is is going to be there for a lot, probably a lot longer than than we think. And, and I think that the rule of six in, in particular, because, you know, if you're, if you're going down to the pub because you know a few of your friends are going to be there, you're sort of thinking, well, well, if, if he's there and she's there, then that's already five people. So if both of us go, that's going to be yeah. seven people. So we can't both go. And, and you know, there, there was quite a lot of that going on when, when the rule of six was coming. You know, she'll just I go or but what if so-and-so hasn't turned up, then we'll be all right. And, and yeah, there's a lot to think about. There is. And I think uh, certainly when we're all allowed to start going out again, one of the first things you're going to want to do is probably meet up with a lot of people you've not seen in a while. So I think it's going to be even more difficult for the smaller groups. And then over time, you know, I, I I can't say I got drinking with more than six people all the time. I have one or two close drinking buddies. But I think in that first instance, I'd be absolutely itching to catch up with so many people. Uh, so, yeah, tricky one, isn't it? Yeah. Now, it must be time to look back into the What's Brewing archives once again. We're going to go back this time to 1978. And there was plenty to argue about at that, at that time, it seems. Now, the article that we have in front of us features Truman's before they closed down in 1989. And I'm afraid it doesn't show them in a particularly good light. No. No, it certainly doesn't. And at the end of that article, they're even tarred with the same brush as Watney's. And for anyone who remembers that era, that's a damning comparison. Anyway, Truman's was slated by camera members, according to the article, because they described their tap bitter as being served from traditional hand pumps when it used a new pressurised air system, which was a bit naughty. Mm, yes, and camera executive member Dennis Palmer said that the county hand pump system is not traditional in England or Scotland or anywhere, actually, and added it does not draw beer, it pushes it. Yeah, I love the description of this article of it causing the air pressure argument, kind of the great air pressure argument almost, isn't it? Apparently okay. it divided camera members. Uh, this issue. Uh, more than a bit of hot air oh. about this one. No, sorry. <laughs> it sounds to me like both Truman's and Watney's, you know, they were under severe pressure, not air pressure. <laughs> pressure. pressure. I'll let Andy in the jokes. But they were under pressure for not offering real ale. And the article suggests that they were resorting to trickery to kind of push real ale fans into drinking their beer. And of course, by then, Grand Metropolitan owned both Truman's and Watney's and they'd basically been merged into one operation. The tap bitter was popular with some customers and the old Truman's Black Eagle Brewery was still producing almost a million barrels wow. a year 
when it closed in 1989. Yeah. See, and you might wonder why it did close then, and it has been suggested that it was more to do with property dealing than brewing. Anyway, earlier we heard all about how the name and some of the beers have been brought back to life by people who have their priorities the right way round. Indeed. Now it's time for Last Orders, where we dive into what tipple has been taking our fancy lately. Now, guys, has the spring-like weather changed what you're drinking, I wonder? Hasn't been that spring-like where I am recently. It's um, been more sort of gale force and cold winds and freezing weather and rain. And so, no, I haven't been on the summer beers, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult at the moment because, you know, it's harder to, to get sort of real ales. Obviously, we, we have got a local pub that's doing deliveries, but it tends to be beers that I've mentioned previously in our last orders section. So I actually had to go to the super market and and have a look around at a a bottled beer from perhaps a a bigger brewery nothing wrong with that but I I like to try and find the the smaller breweries and perhaps beers that people that not everyone listening will have heard of so yeah so my my last order's choice it's a a bottled beer well-known one from St Peter's Plum Porter Lovely, yeah, I'm, on, I'm right with you on that one, really enjoyed that, and I think I actually had it as part of the Winter uh, Beer Fest as well, the virtual one. Now, my beer this week isn't one I've been drinking, but one I've been salivating at the thought of drinking, and it's the one that I featured as part of my We're Only Here for the Beer section when I was sat in that King Billy pub in Nottingham, and that is Oakham's Bishop's Farewell. It is a delicious beer, it's golden, it's smooth, it's got lovely multi background with nice hoppy, fruity flavours, so I've not I've not managed to grab myself a bottle, but that doesn't mean I won't go out and grab one at the earliest opportunity, and actually what I'd much prefer is to get on that train back up to Nottingham and put one in a glass on a lovely table in a beautiful beer garden. Um, well, I've gone against my usually. You know, before on the podcast, I've railed against kind of uh, gimmicky flavoured beers, and I'm going to go completely against it now because I my beer this week is a creme brulee stout. Wow! Which, by New Bristol Brewery, um, I got it through my uh, delivery. Uh, Bristol surely going to be one of the nominations, perhaps for uh, capital of beer in the in 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 the UK. I would say, but New Bristol Brewery have made it, and it's thick, it's gorgeous, it smells and tastes like creme brulee. Uh, and is absolutely wonderful. So, uh, so it's it may may have even changed my opinion on uh, on flavored uh, unflavored beers. It's that good. Mm, I think I think I might just have to try that one. Just enough time though before we finish to tell you about our next episode, and we'll be looking at the explosion of interest in cider. And there's a fascinating interview between a cider pomelia from Durham and what you might call a true cider renaissance man from Herefordshire who wrote the first camera good cider guide. Indeed, and we'll also be heading north to Clitheroe where another pomelia interviews a bar owner specialising in the weird and wonderful. Uh, Don't forget to catch the next episode of the podcast in two weeks on the 30th of March and we do really hope that you get in touch and show us all the pickies of you celebrating camera's 50th birthday with a pie. We are Pubs Pints People. Thanks for listening and cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Durges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to wwwbeer 52 that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.